bless God. Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll do one more sermon on marriage. The last several weeks I've been speaking on marriage and some of the dynamics from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I will continue to speak on it today. I would like to read the whole chapter. Chapter 5. Like always, when you're reading the whole chapter, it's easy to get lost. We'll be focusing on verses 13 to 15. Remember, verses 13 to 15. But they all do play a part to understanding the whole. We really can't understand 13 or 15 unless we get some kind of little background on what the whole chapter was written about. I'll just make a fast mention on that and really draw upon application to marriages. And this can, these dynamics you're going to hear about today are, are good for any interpersonal relationships. Okay, So even though I'm focusing on marriage, it's really about any interpersonal relationships, especially Christians amongst Christians. Chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obliged, obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. You are running well. Who hinders you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you like always that your word illuminates our life. It teaches us about our relationship with you, our vertical relationship. That's not based on law. It's not based on religion. It's not based on law keeping and work righteousness, Father God, because we would fail immediately as soon as we wake up in the morning. But our relationship with you, Father God, is based on grace. What Christ has accomplished for us, Father God. And as we believe in this by faith, Father God, we receive the spirit of grace. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life, Father God, to see a different perspective, to pursue a a, a different purpose, Father God. And when we do this, when we live by love, Father God, there's no law against us. You cannot bring a charge against those who walk in love. I pray, Father God, as marriages are represented here, that we learn to live by the law of grace, and not the law of personal expectations, Father God. I pray, Father God, that husbands and wives and all Christians can exemplify love, joy, self-control, and peace and goodness and kindness, humility, faithfulness, and gentleness at all times, Father God, in all our interpersonal relationships, Father God. But especially husbands and wives can grasp the power of grace to transform our marriages in our relationships, Father God. Open up our ears to hear what the Spirit says, Father God, and let us be courageous enough to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you notice the title, Don't Bite and Devour One Another. And this is about marriages. (laughs) No one's laughing because they know how real it can be. Unfortunately, biting and devouring in marriages can be very real. Relationships can be turned bitter if we're not careful. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been sp- uh, speaking on the ideal of marriage from the Old Testament becoming one flesh. And it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful dynamic that God designed for us. And the truth of the matter is no one's ever really obtained to the fullness of that. Even Adam and, in sin- Adam and Eve sinned shortly after that. And once they were naked and unashamed, and they were vulnerable and caring to each other, and after that they blamed one another, and they they pursued their own ways, and so on and so forth, and grace had to bring them back together. In the New Testament, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and, and wives are called to respect and obey and submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Uh... These are high ideals, and we're to pursue those. Christians understand that. We hear that. Any Christian husband would say amen to that. They wouldn't run away from the self-sacrificial love they're called to give for their wives. They wouldn't run away from that. They know it's right. They might fall short, but they can't deny it, nor would they deny it. It's a longing in the Christian man's heart. And so it is with respect and submitting to the husband. It's a joy for a wife to submit to a loving husband. It's a cause and effect. It's a natural uh, uh, action to love for a woman. It's a beautiful thing. No first century Christian woman would have have, uh, uh, fought against that. They would have known exactly what that means. And even today, a Christian woman would know that a Christian wife would understand that when she's loved like Christ loved the church, it's easy to submit. It's easy to respect spiritual authority. I spoke more about that last week. But I want to speak today out of this text because the truth of the matter is it's not easy. It's not easy. Marriage is extremely hard. Even Christian marriage. No matter how long someone's saved, no matter how long someone's two people are walking with the Lord and, and genuinely love one another, at times it could be very, very difficult. Amen? I mean, we know that. Whether you're married or not, we know that. We know it's challenging. 
And I'll speak about this so you can apply the principles to your own life. Uh, Paul is talking about the church uh, living in harmony with one another, and I'll get into that a little later on. But there is a dark side to all this. Christian marriages is still a clash between two personalities and personalities that are still living in a fallen world in sinful nature. It's just hard sometimes. You know, this love and the respect and, and this harmony and, and unity out of diversity could be very challenging if we don't understand not marriage. Christ and his grace. That's what makes marriage easy. We can go all the marriage seminars that are out there, and we should, we should. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they're not pointing to Christ and his grace, then the marriage seminar is only some kind of points to try to strive towards, and not a grace that just oozes out from our relationship with God. So important. We have two different personalities with uh, different approaches to daily life that can erupt at times. Uh, they clash. It's like two worlds colliding. Marriages can be defined as the best and the worst of times. Well, my favorite is, uh, is the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You know, you don't, you, you're riding these two sort of high waves, you know what I mean? This is wonderful, and also this is really challenging. You know, you don't know which is coming and which is going. Hey, listen, marriage is hard. If you're married here, you know that. It could be difficult, it could be challenging, but it could be also, and it should be extraordinarily sweet. Love is sweet. We don't want to lose the love, because if you lose the love, you lose the sweet. You can't lose those. Got to have them both. But marriage can be difficult. If you plan on getting married, I hope you do. You have to understand something. It's, it, it's still very difficult. Two people coming together uh, to, to live out the rest of their life at, with one purpose, one mind, in unity, out of diversity, in this world. Very difficult. But I don't want to put a hamper on marriage. Marriage is awesome. and It's incredible. And it, it, it's a sweet good. It's, a, it, it's pain. But when you follow Christ, it's a pain that changes both people. And we need that. It's truly the quintessential relationship where iron sharpens iron. We have... We'll use our text tonight, as I just said, to, to apply to marriage and the marital relationship. But the principles we're going to learn tonight and speak about can be easily applied to all interpersonal relationships. So please, if you're not married here, it still applies to you. If you're a Christian, it absolutely applies to your life. Since Paul's appeals to Christians, he's appealing to save sinners to live in harmony with each other. That's what this chapter's about. It's about Christians that come from a diverse background of Judaism and paganism, and they're coming together now to live out their life with all their differences, their socioeconomic uh, differences, their, their religious differences at one time, their, all their backgrounds, they're coming with all this diversity, and Paul's talking to them and saying, you have to live in harmony with one another. And if you follow rules and regulations, they're going to bite and devour one another, but if you live by the rule of grace and love, you'll edify You'll care for one another. You'll be concerned for each other. We're going to develop the sermon tonight historically first. Then I'm going to speak about two principles to marriage and healthy relationship. Uh, as I said, they can apply to any relationship, but, but, but specifically applied to Christian marriage. Historically, 
let me explain what's going on. I just touched upon a little bit of it. Paul was preaching in a place called Galatia. That's like southern, middle, modern-day Turkey today. And he went there, and he ended up found himself in this geographical location because there was something wrong with his eyes. He had this eye deformity. He had this eye disease. And he, and he finds himself in this town, in this geographical region, and he starts to do what, he, what a missionary would do, no matter how they feel that day. He starts to do what? He starts to preach. And despite how bad he looked, guess what people did? They listened. And they got converted. They were once blind and now what? Just by hearing the message. That was it. They heard a message about Christ being crucified for their personal sins and a reception of the Spirit, and both Jews and Gentiles in the marketplace heard Paul preach. There were several miracles that took place. We see this in the book of Acts. And, and people came and they received Christ as Lord and Savior. Coming from the worst of paganism, coming out of Judaism, you have two diverse cultures emerging into one. Paul preaches there for a while. A church is birthed. And all of a sudden you've got this unique entity called the Christian church. And, and, and they, they become lovers of God. But guess what happens after Paul left? It always happened after Paul left. It always happens when you hear about grace. Someone comes behind Paul and starts saying, well, Jesus is okay, but you still need to be circumcised and follow certain ritualistic laws. You still need to be religious. All this faith is, it's okay, but we need to see something. Faith alone doesn't change you. You've got you to get with the program. You have to, you have to do something to be right with God. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to stay away from pork. You have to wash three times a day. You have to, you have to, you have to worship. You have to face the temple. It could be a, a, all sorts of things. Here it's specifically circumcision and certain uh, Judaistic laws. Well, guess what they started doing, this, this group of people, and Paul wasn't there. They started listening to this person. And slowly but surely, you would go to a church service and you would hear less and less about, come on, about Christ. And you hear more and more about what you have to do. You don't hear about Jesus and what he did. You hear about what you have to do. That's the difference. Well, Paul says, if you begin to live by that principle... And you take away the grace principle because you receive the Spirit, not by doing, but you receive the joy of the Holy Ghost, you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, you receive the illumination of the Holy Ghost, you know you're forgiven, you know Christ was crucified and rose again because of the Holy Ghost, but now you're leaving faith and you're going to try to work your way into the right relationship with God. I'm telling you now, you're going to be severed from grace, you won't be saved, and you're going to end up biting and devouring one another because wherever you put a small group of people in together for a long period of time, if love is not the ruling principle, sooner or later you're going to end up biting and devouring one another. It's the truth. You know what happens to the people who who are always on time? They don't like the people who are what? The ex-smoker doesn't like? The ex-drunk doesn't like the... Rules and regulations, when they, when, when, when religious people come into all type of service, it drives them mad. We come in, we sit down, we got flip-flops on, we got shorts. 
and, and that's all they see. They see the visual of what they want to see. Their expectations are not being met. But what they don't see is people's hearts are filled with Jesus. There's no other name but Jesus. And the reason we turn away from sin and we love God is because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's why. Well, you take that away, and all you're going to have are rules and regulations. And when rules and regulations determine character and determine function of people, sooner or later, you're going to end up, we will end up biting and devouring one another. You're part of the bowling team. You're there for a year. You watch. You listen. You're part of the knitting club upstairs. If it's not run by grace, if they're 80 years old, they'll be biting and devouring one another because it's human nature. Wherever we go, we take it. We rub off on each other. We rub each other wrong. We have these idiosyncrasies that our personalities drive each other what? Crazy. You get away with that once a week. But if that's got to be a daily thing, and if it's, not, if, it's not, if it's not ruled by the principle of love and acceptance and mercy, what Christ does for us, and we don't do it for each other, forget about it. We'll be out each other's throats. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be ruled by law. The law of Moses is over. God accepts you for what Christ has done. That's grace. Period. You can never do anything to please God. Christ did it all for you. Accept that. Let it change you from the inside out. And let us accept one another as works in progress by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. That's it. That same principle needs to be applied to what? Thank you. Because if we're not careful... The relationship of marriage that started great, like Paul said, you started out so great. Who bewitched you? You were running so well. You turn a relationship into rules and regulations. Marriage can turn out, start so well. Two people love one another, feeling to feeling, heart to heart, mind to mind. They, they engage each other. And all of a sudden, over a period of time, life becomes do's and don'ts. Rules and regulations. My expectations aren't being met. Your expectations aren't being met. Guess what happens at the end of that? Biting and devouring. Every husband and wife that truly loves each other knows that you can... Never hate someone more than sometimes your spouse. And I say that, I'm married 31 years. The passion gets so inflamed. And you're saying, this, this is the person I love. But yet they're driving me crazy. <laughs> it's not about being innocent or not. It's not about right or your perception of right. We, we can drive each other crazy. My wife said amen. <laughs> it is an amen. I, that's the truth. It's the truth. Relationships can do that. But we need to apply this to marriages because it's the quintessential relationship. It's where the battle between law and grace takes place. And I ask, is what's ruling our marriages? Or what's ruling your relationships? Is it law or is it Grace. There's no closer bond, there's no tidy union than the one flesh union that men and women are called to in marriage. In Christ and grace is neither, if Christ and grace is not the center of the marriage, listen, then the law of personal expectations will be. And sooner or later, marriage will be characterized by biting and devouring. Sure, there'll be love, but it's more tension more stress. 
So that's why marriages break up after many, many years. We've been living in the building for 31 years. 30 years, we're married 31, almost 32. And, and, and the people on the third floor, they got divorced. He's 85 years old. They're married like 900 years. How do you get divorced? All right, you go on a trip to Europe for three months and see your family. You don't get divorced. That's a long time. But this is what happens when we lose the value of relationship and love and we base the relationship on law and commandments. I'll explain this as we go along. And even when Christ is the center, if we're not careful, this kind of behavior, abiding of devouring each other, can make cameo appearances. You know, you don't know where all of a sudden they just show up and, and you're like, who was that? Who, who was that? I just slept next to them. Now they want to eat me alive. Not usually. There are two dynamics that shape marriages I want to speak about tonight. There's one is called the law of personal expectations. I'll explain that as we go along. The law of personal expectations. And there are different spheres and venues within the marriage relationship, like social engagement. There is family, domestic relationship. There are headings. Social, domestic, financial, physical. That means sex, all right? Physical. There is also intimacy. That sometimes is not sex. Uh, then we got church life and all these things. These are certain dynamics that are up and running in every Christian marriage. And if it's not all governed by grace, then we can bring biting and devouring into any one of those situations. Husbands and wives really know how to fight over money, uh, over time spent, over bills, over family, over children, over in-laws. Uh, it goes on and on and on. And we have to know how to bring the principle of grace into this. I want to speak about personal expectations. Personal expectations that one spouse towards another having a personal expectation should be natural. We should have expectations for each other. But, you know, they really need to be reasonable expectations. A reasonable expectation is an agreeable expectation. And it should be opposite of the deeds of the flesh. Uh, 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 an expectation is not, oh, my... my my wife's a drunk. Well, that's okay. No, that's not okay. That's the deeds of the flesh. Or, or my husband's a fornicator. Eh, it's just, no, that's, that's not reasonable. That's not agreeable. That is sinful. So we're not talking about anything that Paul spoke about the deeds of the flesh. Are you with me? Yeah. Expectations are what enhances the relationship. Concessions need to be made. A lot of discoveries between a husband and wife over many years. They discover what makes my wife happy, what makes my husband happy. You know, there are certain expectations we have to have one another. But also, we can have our natural expectations. It's okay if they're agreeable, if they're biblical, if they're reasonable, but they also need to be flexible. Are you with me? Yeah. Because if we, even though we want something so bad, uh, our spouse is still a human being who's weak with what? Sin. You know, we, we can't be on top of our game all the time. And sometimes we're going to fail. 
So we need to be flexible. It can't be, well, this is my expectation. It needs to be met every day. And if it's not, be careful, because you broke my law. That means you're going to see the wrath of who? And a lot of fights, what happen in marriages is because one person's expectation is not being fulfilled. So we need to, expectations are good. They need to be biblical. They need to be agreeable. They need to be right. They need to be humane. But they need to be flexible because each spouse has to realize they're married to a weak sinner living in a fallen world. That dynamic has to be real in every marriages. Otherwise, we will have uh, 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 false expectations or high expectations that we're just asking too much of the person we love. And we've got to be careful of that at all times. Sometimes our yes is not yes, and sometimes it is yes, and our no is no, and sometimes it's not no. Uh, there's inconsistency even in the best of Christians, amen? There are inconsistencies. It's only natural for spouses to have healthy expectations of each other. It's it's part of love. Love is not passive. There's nothing wrong with healthy expectations that a wife has towards the husband and the husband has towards the wife. wife. These, These are okay. We should have those. But how we go about fulfilling those is, is we need to do that by grace, not by demand. And what happens when the other person does not uh, fulfill that expectation and falls short of that expectation, even sometimes over prolonged periods of time, we have to make sure that we extend grace and mercy with the expectation, not just law and disappointment. We've got to be on top of that game all the time. Like I said, we should both, both spouses should have uh, value the reasonable expectations of their spouse. Both parties should value. Because what it is, it's an expression of your spouse's personality, who they are, who you fell in love with, is hidden behind those reasonable and agreeable expectations. That's who you and I fell in love with. Or who you are falling in love with. Or who you hope to fall in love with one day. It is important to understand that. It's their inner self. Some personal expectations will develop normally throughout the marriage. Without any real tensions. And, and where to add to a healthy relationship. Of maybe taking out the garbage. Or doing a couple of dishes. Or whatever it might be. You know, there are some healthy expectations that take on normal you know, it, there's just a growth factor in the, in, in the relationship. And as time goes on, these things develop very naturally. Uh, but others will come through many trials and many errors, many tensions, many tribulations. But we always have to remember, these are the people we fell in love with. And love has to rule at the end of the day. Paul says it one way. Do not go to bed angry. It's okay to be disappointed. But how do you convey and articulate disappointment to your spouse? Is it it an act of grace to point to someone's failure and blind spot graciously? Or has it become a weapon of mass destruction to beat the spouse to death for another failure in their life? 
it's easy to fall into that. Christians, even with ourselves, I mean, how, how do we deal with each other's weaknesses and personality differences? Do we take into account we're all different and, and Christ accepts us all the way we are? Are we mutually uh, encouraging to one another? Or do we silently bite and devour one another? But some of these uh, personal expectations that we have, and I'll get into this a little later on. I'm just talking about the law. Uh, I'll give you examples as we go along. But uh, some of these personal expectations over the course of time need to be revised, revisited, renewed over the course of our marriages because circumstances change. Uh, Domestic life could change. Social life can change. Finances can change. Physical health can change. Uh, Church affiliations can change. Spiritual growth can uh, change and become stronger and so on and so forth. So the expectations we have on each other could change. And we have to recognize that. Concessions might need to be made. One spouse just might have to recognize that someone is just not capable at this point in their life to fulfill in that expectation. Someone might consistently fall in, a, in, in, in some kind of reasonable expectation and that we cannot use that as a weapon of mass destruction to bite and devour, but we have to remember what God has done for us and fully accepted us with grace and worked slowly and patiently and long-sufferingly over the failures of our life. How not do husbands and wives work with each other, with forbearance, with patience, with kindness? How can we not? We need to work through these things uh, to build up. There are opportunities to encourage each other, to be built up. No one can encourage a husband better than a wife, and no one can encourage a wife better than a husband. No one can, and no one should. No one should be used more by God in my wife's life than me, and no one should be used more in my life than my wife, by the Lord. Not another woman, not 15 men. 15 good brothers could never do do for me what my wife can do for me. Honesty and transparency between a husband and wife goes greater than confessing to 10, 15 different men. I shared this last week when I preached. As I was preparing this, I was like, oh my goodness, I better speak to my wife. And she knows how much I love her. But I, I fail. I fail on a lot of things consistently. But both me and my wife have learned over the years to deal with these things with sensitivity with grace, with concern, with caring, knowing that our flesh can end up biting and devouring one another and nothing gets done at that point. Yelling and screaming, uh, James says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness God desires. Anger, is a, it fails immediately. It just fails. One of the deeds of the flesh we just read were outburst of what? Outburst of anger. A high show of emotion. It's my way or no way. I'm not going to hear to any reasonable discussion whatsoever. You've broken my law of expectation again, and I don't want to hear nothing about it. And sometimes it changes because more important and most important as we grow as Christians, we get a better grasp of the will of God. 
And that is really important as Christians, that we get a better grasp of the will of God and how to apply grace and to understand what Christ has done for us. When we truly understand what Christ has done for us and that we're dead is to Christ and we're to exemplify mercy and exemplify grace. Remember something, the law changed nothing. Only grace did. If you were to come in this room and I would give you the law of Moses, you'd leave here with nothing but two heavy stone plates. Wouldn't change you whatsoever. But when you come here and you find out you can be forgiven by grace, it changes everything in your life. The only thing that changed the stubborn parts of my life and God used my wife was her grace towards me, not the law. It won't work. Husbands and wives, I'm telling you, you're trying to change one another, forget about it. You can yell and scream at each other all you want. It won't change a thing. Grace with understanding. Mercy with understanding. Mercy with articulating your your uh, concerns, mercy and grace to articulate your disappointments and, and how hurt you've been. I'm, I'm hurt. You hurt me. You did it again. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm ruined on the inside. I love you, but, but I'm genuinely disappointed and hurt. Doesn't mean it's over. But that's what changes things. Mercy and grace, forgiveness and understanding. But you work through it. This is not about turning a blind eye to something. It's not about turning a deaf ear and saying it just doesn't exist and we'll just make believe everything's happy. No, it's nothing about that. It's about dealing with issues, but we're doing it in the context of the grace of Christ and the dependence on Christ. And sometimes with outside intervention is needed. The law of personal expectation is more concerned about one's personal desires being met or someone's felt needs. Someone can be very emotionally needed and it's just like it, it, it could consume the whole relationship. Just want someone's, one, someone's personal needs just constantly need to be met, constantly, constantly, constantly. And they have this high expectation of the spouse and, and it's, 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 it's unrealistic. So the law of personal expectation is, you know, being more concerned about one's personal felt needs or one's personal desires being met all the time. And what happens, what this happens is that they don't realize they don't exist as individuals anymore. Marriage doesn't exist as two individuals. Did you know that? They exist as one flesh to glorify God. Unity in diversity. That's what Paul's talking about the Galatian church. Listen, you come out of paganism, you come out of Judaism, you you were enemies at one time, and here you are, you're worshiping Jehovah because of the name of Jesus, and and you're caring for one another, and there's no laws, no rules, no, no regulations. You know why? Because when it comes to love, Paul says, there is no law. What are you going to say? Don't love each other anymore? Don't be concerned about each other anymore? Don't meet each other's emotional needs? Don't meet each other's physical needs? Don't meet each other's mental needs? Don't meet each other no more. No, that's love meets needs. It's self-promoting. But when we're living by personal expectations, listen, we've got to be careful that someone doesn't try to dominate the relationship. 
and start manipulating the relationship to those ends. And that's important. We've got to be careful that the alpha dog doesn't become dominant in the relationship and gets their way all the time. And they're manipulating in different ways. The husband who works and makes all the money can manipulate doing what? One spouse makes all the money in control of the finances and wants to manipulate the relationship so they hold back on what? On money. A woman can hold back on? Oh yeah, we use the sex word at this church. We're not unashamed of sex between a husband and a wife. Yeah, it's okay. Enjoy yourself, all right? We're not unashamed of what God calls very good. Please. It's everything else we're concerned about, and we speak against it. We hold up the ideal. But that's why I'll talk about this manipulative, because this will be expressed in the different spheres of marital relationship. Now, I mentioned before, listen, domestic life. Domestic life. That deals with how we deal with our children, our chores, home life, everything within the, the, the context of, of the family. Holding a household together. The law of expectation can be used there, or it could be grace. Social time. How wives spend, how husbands and wives spend their time together with family and friends. Where they go. Are we going to see your in-laws all the time? How about my mother? It's always your friends. We're always doing what you want to do. Has anybody ever heard those words? Well, if you're married, you better believe you've heard those. That's the way it comes down to. The law of personal expectation. There's financial life. There's work. How you deal with work. Savings. One likes to save, one likes to... Paying bills on time. Being financially uh, responsible. All those... I'm telling you now, more divorces happen because of finances, not sex. Finances. Between husbands and wives. Then there's the physical aspect. Sex. We don't use it as a weapon of mass destruction. We don't beat and devour one another with it. It's supposed to be special within a relationship. And if you're close to Christ and you walk by grace, it will remain special and sacred within a relationship. It won't become a tool. To manipulate each other. Something husbands and wives have to be careful of. And then there's spiritual life. Where the law of expectation can come. Church association. Church friends. Church responsibilities. Belonging to a ministry to build up other people. One spouse wants to jump in and use their gifts and talents. Another spouse wants to take it easy. Let everybody else do it. How do we work on these tensions? How do we work on these dynamics? Are we working with, with grace? Who's having the last word at the conversation? Is it the word of God that's directing the marriage? Or do we have two people trying to build up the law in their life? It's my law and my way. It's your law and your way. And you're constantly conflicting and biting and devouring one another. And you're forgetting that you're there, one flesh to honor God. 
And that both sinners are saved by grace, and it's a marriage saved by grace, and it should exemplify grace, and the marriage now should be uh, exemplify the beauty of Jesus Christ, unity and diversity. That takes a lot of work. Now you know why Peter says to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not my sins are forgiven. Yeah, sure, it's beginning. Now it's like a whole new life of how I vertically relate to God. Not through law, not through regulations, but through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, how do I associate with every horizontal relationship, every interpersonal relationship? Am I saved by grace, but I'll deal with you with personal expectations? I'll deal with you with the law? You better or else? Or do I deal with all my interpersonal relationships at the exercise of grace and mercy? That's what Paul is getting to in this chapter. Don't provoke each other. Don't tear each other down. He says, but build each other up. If you follow law, it's always about the law. Understand something. You're going to fail. It leads to jealousy, fits of rage, outbursts of anger, provoking one another. When it comes to application, I have to start with a question. Husbands and wives first. Whether it's your spiritual life, or your physical life, or your financial life, or the social life, or the domestic life. Tell me, these conversations, are they peaceful? Or are they tense? Because all those areas I just talked about, husbands and wives are constantly communicating on a domestic, social, financial, physical, spiritual plane all the time. Those conversations you're having and we're having. Is it law of expectation? Well, you did what you wanted to do Monday night, now I'm going to do what I'm going to do on Wednesday night. And is it this sort of, you know, you got your way and I'll get my way and tit for tat, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. Is, is that the ruling thing in the relationship? Or is people know how to defer to one another and build each other up and care for each other and know what's important to the other person? Who's having the last word financially? Who's having the last word socially? Who's having the last word domestically? Who's having the last word physically, uh, sexual intimacy? Who's having the last word uh, over church and going to church and being built up as a Christian? Who's having that last word in the house? Does it get ugly? Are you fighting over it? Marriages need to Keep fresh by remembering something. That it's a relationship of mutual love. That's why people get married. It's not about laws and regulations to meet. Well, I'll be happy and stick around if everything A, B, C, D, and E, and if it's done, then you have all of me. How do you love someone that fails? Grace. We think husbands and wives don't fail each other. No one fails each other more than a husband and a wife. Maybe children. That wasn't a joke. That's serious. Moms and dads know that. It's very painful. But no one can disappoint the child more than the parent. Children know that. What? Is the governing rule in every relationship, in every marriage represented in our life? 
in this in this room? What what is it? Is it the law of expectation or is it the grace of Jesus Christ? How are we dealing with each other's weaknesses? How are we dealing with our expectations? Are we building each other up or are we tearing each other down? I'll just end with one thing Paul says. He says, love never fails. There are seasons in your life where one spouse feels like they're doing everything. And the whole marriage is falling on their shoulders. And sometimes it's not. These are the dynamics that go to make a Christian marriage. It's not easy, and I told you that. And when people are getting married, we counsel them. That's the way we counsel them. It's two sinners getting married. One day, the, the obsession, the physical obsession, and it, it's going to be over. And you're going to have to deal, learn how to love one another from a deeper plane. Father, we thank you for the word. God, thank you for challenging us. I was challenged when I studied this sermon out. I, I had to speak to my wife on more than one occasion, Father God, as I had to take a look at my own soul and my own failures, Father God. But I only looked there for a moment and I looked to Christ, Father. He's my hope, Father. And I pray for everybody represented here, all Christian marriages, Father God, and those who desire to get married and will be married one day, Father, that they realize that the ruling principle in every Christian, God-fearing marriage should be the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us always remember that, Father God, in Jesus' precious name.